Good morning. Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church today. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing our praises to God.
Father, it's awesome to come to you today and to know that though you are the almighty, sovereign God, you care about us. You care about this world. You care about the most vulnerable, innocent, needy people. Father, we are excited to worship you today. We pray that our worship will bring you glory, will help us to see you for who you are. And we ask all of this through Christ Jesus. Amen. It's great to see you as we gather for worship today. Take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship. see a number of uh, announcements in the bulletin, Wednesday night, next Sunday, same regular worship schedule, um, and uh, also uh, things happening in the evenings, things during the week. Uh, I want to just mention real quickly a couple of announce, or, uh, inserts in your bulletin. Uh, there's a Valentine's banquet we're hosting, actually it's uh, the 14th, Friday night, and if you're interested in being a part of that, you can uh, take a look at that, and there's a, there's a cutout part of it you can put in the offering plate. This uh, lime green insert is about our missions convention that's two weeks from today. Uh, This year we're focusing on uh, local needs and particularly what God is doing in Buffalo. And so there are some opportunities here to go up to Buffalo to to help out with some of the needs that they have. So I encourage you to take a look at that. Uh, Also, there is a uh, next Sunday, there is a college ministries meet and greet. And you see some information about that. Love to have you be a part of that as well. There's also a little blue card in your bulletin about faith promise. This is something we've been doing for the last three, four years of uh, challenging all of us to think about what God may want us to give for the world outside of what we might normally give to the church and the kingdom. And uh, we want you to pray about what God might have you to give, a little or much. That's up to between you and God. But be in prayer. We're going to collect these uh, two weeks during the the Sunday of the convention. So be praying and thinking now about how God may want to uh, use you for this. It's always sometimes nice to to hear how God used uh, other people, how he worked other people's lives. And Pastor Kevin is going to share just a a brief story about uh, uh, an event in uh, his life and uh, how God used that to help shape them in their faith and giving. Back when I was even younger than I am now, um, <clears throat> my wife and I were part of a, a sports ministry called Sports Life from 1981, 1981 to 1987. And during those years, um, we lived literally month to month to month on the faith support that came in for uh, the two of us. And our children didn't come along until 1986, the last year of that ministry. And every summer, we would come back from the West Coast. The ministry was based in Tacoma, Washington. And every summer, we would drive back to the East Coast where our support base was, where the vast majority of churches and individuals who supported us lived. And we'd go around and share with them what was God was doing in our lives and through the ministry. And, uh, and people would then join back up for another year or maybe a two-year commitment and prayer support partners and all this. And so we had all kinds of crazy places to be going um, on during the week and on weekends, especially visiting different churches. And around 1984, not exactly sure if it was 84, 85, and that summer, we were scheduled um, to come down from Rochester. We kind of based out of Rochester, where Cindy and her family lived. And we would drive down. Um, we're going down the Chambers Camp to the Central New York District's campground, where Cindy just loved it. And we were going to be sharing with the youth and some of the people down there. And we had a 1958 Chevy that sucked up all the gas in the world. And um, we didn't have a lot of money at the moment in time as we were scheduled to come down there to speak on a Saturday. And then on Sunday, as we headed back up to Rochester, we speak over in Belleville, which isn't too far from here. It's a little church out over near Rushford, over in the country there. And 
As we were leaving that morning, or Friday evening, I guess it was, as we were leaving, we noticed that we didn't have enough gas to make it down and back up again. And yet we knew that God would provide, and we just started that whole process of, God, you know we need gas money somehow in this process, and you'll probably provide whether it's, you know, some kind of honorarium. Who knows what's going to happen? We don't know. But we always drove off often wondering how was God going to provide. And we got down to the Chambers campground, and... um, the Wilson family, uh, Cindy's aunt, Debbie Wilson, is also the sister to Dick Alderman, so some who know that family. Um, we often spent time with them and their children and had loads of fun with them. And their children, uh, Danny and Matthew and, and um, Elizabeth, all often received a cow. They had a dairy farm, and they would receive cows as children, and they were to take care of these cows. And then when they sold, the money would go into their accounts and as we came down, I say that simply because this, as we came down to Chambers Camp that year, and we pulled in, um, almost empty, probably enough to go about 40, 50 miles yet in the car, um, Danny Wilson ran up to us as soon as he knew we were on the campground, and he said, Kevin and Cindy, I got good news for you. This is Cindy's cousin, and he was 10, 11 years old, and he goes... God has helped me sell my cow, and I want to give you 10% of that amount. And it was a check for $250. And Cindy and I just looked at each other and just smiled, knowing God has provided. Miraculously has provided. Who would have ever thought that a 10-year-old's cow was going to provide the income that we needed to buy the gas to get on around and about? And not only enough to get back up, but just more than enough. And we were so excited about that. And we were praising God. And we told uh, Cindy's parents about it and a few other people that we ran into. But especially Phil and Debbie uh, Wilson, as we just share with them how this has really provided for us. That evening, uh, Keith Jury was speaking to the whole camp, to the adults, to everybody in there. And Cindy and I were sitting in there and still just kind of feeling great about how God had provided and his message was on sacrificial giving. That, you know, a lot of us just give, and it's easy to give. But his challenge was to give sacrificially beyond what you, your means are and trust God. And Cindy and I felt compelled in those moments to take that check, and we signed it over. We both agreed without any doubt God wanted us to give back to him that very check. So we signed it over and put it in the offering plate. And uh, as we got up Sunday morning to head back up to to Belleville, we said, okay, Lord, we trust you. We know and we knew that we were obeying him and doing what he wanted us to do. And so we hopped in the car and we drove up. And we're probably running on close to fumes as we got into uh, Rushford to Bellevue. And we were greeted at the door right there. The very first thing that happened that morning was Dorothy Osgood came up to us with this great big old smile. And she put her uh, $10 bill in our hand and said, I know that you need this. God has told me you need this. And she handed that to us. And literally tears started to flow down our cheeks as we thought, how great is God? How great is God? He knew that we were basically out of gas and we needed this. And we just witnessed in our own hearts his provision for us. We went to lunch afterwards with a family in that church. And not only did the $10 was given to us, but she said, oh, by the way, before you leave, here's um, some cash, $51. The little children keep taking offerings for your ministry of sports life. And we just haven't had a chance to give it to you. We thought when you're going to come here anyway. And so we left that church with $61 in cash, knowing that God had provided. And I just share that with you because you never know how God is going to provide. There are miracles and there are just ways that are beyond your imagination. As you consider faith promise giving, don't limit God. If God is speaking to you, whether it's $5 or $500 or $5,000, whatever it is, and it just seems out of your scope of range, trust God. If he's speaking to you, be obedient to him and let him work miracles and bless you as you bless others. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. We have an opportunity now to give back to God just a portion of all that he has given to us. I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward to receive our tithes and offerings.
Pray together if you'd like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer. Please come and join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your grace seeks us, pursues us, finds us. We thank you that despite the ways in which we may turn from you and reject you, You keep seeking us and pursuing us, loving us. Father, in this moment of prayer, we come in a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. And we also come to to lay before you the burdens and the struggles and the concerns that weigh upon us. We pray that you will heal all who are sick. We pray that you will comfort all who are grieving. We pray that you will restore what we have broken. We pray that you will Give us courage and hope as we think about the future. 
Father, we pray not only for ourselves, but for this world that you have created and you love and you seek and pursue. We pray that you would pour out your spirit in those places where your children are persecuted. And we pray that you would help them and relieve the persecution. Give them courage and strength and may their witness inspire us about our witness. We pray for people who who deal with the consequences of war and greed and violence, hatred. We ask that you would bring peace and healing and bring your spirit to bear in people's lives that they would see hope in you. Father, we thank you for the ways in which you are at work in our world and in our lives. Thank you for being here today. Help us, Father, to know that you are present, that you hear our prayers and that you are at work. When we see you, when we know you, and when we do not. We pray all of this in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, our returning King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading for this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. Following the tradition of the church, I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. Are there some people or some groups of people that you you have serious questions about whether they are going to be welcomed in God's kingdom? Are there other people, groups of people that you say, okay, they've made some choices. I don't think they get in. Or they believe these things. I don't think they get in. They, they practice this way of life. I don't think they get in. I have a feeling as we think about that, there are people or there are groups of people that are coming to every one of our minds. And when we read the scriptures, we find that, there, that, that that's not an illegitimate question to ask. We read the scriptures and we find that Jesus comes and says, there are people in and people out. And people have been asking those questions through the centuries. God, who gets in and who's left out? And sometimes our answers are based on biblical ideas and quite frankly, sometimes it's just what we want. Knowing all of that's in the back of our minds, knowing that we all make those kinds of judgments, ask those questions. It's intriguing to me that Jesus is out teaching one day and in the middle of this teaching, someone pipes up and says, Lord, are only a few people going to get into the kingdom? Now, I don't know what that person is implying by the question. It might be a completely legitimate, Lord, I'm curious. Is it going to be a lot of people or a few people? But it's one of those questions that sort of has behind it, you can feel an agenda. It might be, Lord, I was just out listening to some of the, some of, some of the teachers of the law, and I got the impression that there's not going to be very many people in the kingdom. Is that right? It might come from, Lord, there are some people that I have really difficult issues with. They're not getting in the kingdom, are they? It doesn't tell us. He just says, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Are only a few people going to, to inherit the kingdom? What's fascinating to me is that Jesus, as he does so often, he doesn't answer the question. Have you noticed that when you read the Gospels? People ask Jesus questions, and more often than not, he doesn't answer their question. He doesn't say, yes, only a few people are going to get in, or no, a whole bunch of people are going to get in, or let me, let me explain that to you. No, he does not answer the question at all. Instead, he looks at this person and in essence says, it's not about who gets in and who doesn't. The issue is, are you going to get in? The issue is, are you in the kingdom? Jesus is the master at turning these general questions that we have into specifics. See, we love to debate the theological issues of things like who's getting into the kingdom, who's not. We love theological debates, and, and they're fine. They're good. They can help us. What we, but sometimes those debates are, are simply a means of deflecting the word of God coming right at us. Let's talk about these theological issues, and then I don't have to think about my own relationship with Christ. 
Jesus continually moves away all of the stuff that we don't know clearly and says, what about you? His exact answer here in verse 24 is, make every effort to enter by the narrow door. Make every effort to enter by the narrow door. Now that implies that there are other doors that are not narrow, and we'll get to that in a moment. What intrigues me about his answer is that he he doesn't say what we might expect him to say. He doesn't say, well, that's all about the grace of God. Just believe, just trust. He says, make every effort to enter by the door. Now, right away, if you've been raised in the church, that raises red flags for us because we have been taught in our Protestant evangelical uh, perspective that we have to be so careful not to give the impression that we can earn our salvation. That we get into the kingdom by doing good things. And we're right. I mean, we're just saying, you alone can rescue. You alone can save. We're saying about grace all morning. It is all founded on the grace of God. It is all about the grace of God. It is the grace of God that opens the door and makes the door available. But Jesus says to go through the door That's our role. That's our effort. And what we are to do is to make every effort to go through the door. That word, make every effort, is used in uh, in talking about athletic competitions in the ancient world. It means to compete. And you think about, we're getting ready to have the, the Winter Olympics are coming up in a couple of weeks. And you'll see athletes there at the Olympics competing. You will find very few athletes at that Olympics who are doing that half-heartedly. They don't go to the Olympics. Somebody didn't just think two weeks ago, you know what? Going to the Olympics would be a good idea. I think I'll get off the couch and I'll go compete in the Olympics. I'm going to go do figure skating. I've never done it before, but, you know, it might be fun. I'm going to do ski jumping. Now, that looks cool. I have never done ski jumping before, but how hard can it be, right? Nobody does that. Those people who compete in the Olympics, they've been training virtually all of their lives. They have spent the whole last, at least the last year, getting their bodies into shape, practicing, 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 whatever sports they are competing in. They are making every effort Not just to compete, but to win. It's a word that means to fight, to engage in battle. And it has that sense of exerting energy to win the battle. And so Paul writes to Timothy and says, I have fought the good fight. He uses the word twice in that sentence. It is about fighting with all of our strength and might. What it really boils down to, it's a word that describes passion. We could paraphrase what Jesus says this way. Be passionate about going through the narrow door. Don't just saunter through the door. You don't back through the door. You are passionate about walking through that door. And when we're passionate about something, it engages us. It envelops us. It engulfs us. It becomes super important to us. Think about things that you want to accomplish in life. If you want to be a great athlete, you train, you work, you practice, you compete. That's how you get to be that. If you want to be a great artist or musician, you study and you practice And you do it over and over and over again. And you have a coach that helps you. And you expend a lot of money often doing that. If you want to be a great writer, you study, you learn, and you write, and you write, and you write. And you don't write write one draft and say that's enough. You don't just write two drafts or three drafts. Most people write 
dozens of drafts to get it where it should be. And then you let somebody else read it and critique it and tell you how it's not what it should be. Because you want it to be the best it can be. If you want to be a doctor, you study, you spend a whole lot of money, and you practice on anyone who will let you practice on them. So you can learn. Probably the most dangerous thing to do is to be a medical student and they're practicing on each other. But you keep doing it and you keep working through it and you spend all these years of training and learning because you have a passion about being a physician. And Jesus is saying to us, that's my kingdom. You want to walk through the door? Have that kind of passion in your life. And when we have that kind of passion, it takes over everything about us. It takes over how we think. People who are passionate about Christ, people who are passionate about the kingdom, are interested, are thinking about what goes into our minds. We're paying attention to what occupies our thoughts. It makes a difference. We're concerned about what we do with the gifts that God has given us. How we spend our time. What we do with with the gifts that we have, the talents that we have. What we do with our money, however much or little of it we may have. All of these things that we have, what we do with them speaks to passion. And I think a lot of times we have this mindset that we can just sort of Skate by the kingdom. We can come to Christ half-heartedly, and that's good enough. It's never good enough. Jesus, over and over and over again, encountering people, he's looking for people who, who are interested enough in him to have passion about him. He never condemns people who have in this mindset, I could do more for Christ. It's the... Religious people who are thinking, how little can I do for God and still skate by, that gets Jesus' ire up. It's about passion. That's what it means to be a part of the kingdom, having a passion for Christ. Now, there is a point where Jesus says, this narrow door becomes a locked door. There is a point where the door is shut and he says, there are people who are knocking on the door saying, let me in, let me in. And it surprises me. It's kind of odd that Jesus then says, the master says to them, "Mm, I don't think so. No. We think that doesn't really sound like God. It doesn't sound like God's grace. I mean, if people are knocking and they want to get in, I mean, you'd think God would let them in. I think Jesus is simply giving us another metaphor about people who say they want to get in but really aren't interested in getting in. They're interested in getting away from where they are but they really aren't interested in coming to Jesus. There's a big difference. It's It's like the difference, it's like Someone being in a theater, crowded theater, somebody yells fire and, and everyone rushes to the exits. No one really cares where you go outside. They're just, oops, there we go again. We had that trouble first service too. When we, no one cares where you go when you walk outside. You're just trying to get out. And for a lot of people, it's just getting out. Not really interested in being with Jesus. It's like people who are invited into the king's mansion. And they walk into the mansion. It's an awesome place, great place to live. This is going to be terrific. But it isn't very long before they realize they don't really like the way the king operates. They don't really like what the king is doing and how the king treats people. And and what's important to the king because it's not important to them. And so they start telling the king of different ways to do things. And they don't like this and they don't like that. And they really are becoming unsettled. And they really don't want to be there. They just wanted to come in somewhere. 
It's really what Lewis talks about in The Great Divorce. You have these people who are in hell, and they load them on a bus and take them to heaven. And they walk around heaven for a while and see what heaven is like, and they have at the end of that journey, they are all given the option, do you want to stay in heaven, or do you want to get back on the bus and go back to hell? And every single one of them gets back on the bus and goes back to hell. You say, whoa. It's because what they see in heaven, what heaven is about, the priorities of heaven, the love and forgiveness and grace and goodness of heaven makes them sick. Heaven's all about selflessness and they are about self-centeredness. They really don't want to be there. And the people knocking on the door, they say to the master, let us in, let us in. He says, I don't know you. He said, well, you, you ate, we ate with you and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he said, that may be true, but I don't know you. And the word to know has that sense of intimacy to it. That sense of, of relationship that is, is close and tight. And the master is saying to them, well, we may have done these things. You may know about me, but you really don't know me. And you don't really want to know me. You just want me to come and to rescue you from where you are. But it's really not about knowing me. There's not a passion for me. There's just a fear about getting away. And the kingdom is about people who have a passion for Christ. However much or little we know about Christ, something in our hearts has this passion, this desire for Christ. Someone said to me recently, this, this door is... In many ways, you could say this door is God-shaped, the narrow door. It's God-shaped. And as we were talking about that, you know, we were thinking about those cartoons where the cartoon character is racing along and, and in fear runs through a wall. And you see their outline in the wall, you know, as they run through it. You see the little outline of it. And that's sort of the way this is. And we're trying to walk through a door that's often that's our shape and we're trying to make God fit to us and Jesus is saying no, 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 no the kingdom is about me shaping you to God and your willingness to do that the surrender of your life the surrender of your passions to me maybe think of it this way we, we come to God with all of our stuff we got all of our, our things that we love, the things that are important to us. We got all of our passions and all the, the things that we want to hang on to. And we, are, we say to God, I, I want to go through the door. I just don't want to let go of my stuff. And we keep banging on the door. And we're, we'll try a whole lot of ways to get through it. We can't. It's not going to happen. We want... Sometimes we'll even say, Lord, can you make that door a little bit wider for me? He's saying, if you want my kingdom, if you want everything that I have for you, you got to surrender the stuff. And your one passion, one desire is Christ. Sometimes it feels as though this narrow door is so exclusive. And we lament. This comes back to the discussions about who gets in and who doesn't. And we lament some of God's decisions about, wait a second. You mean to tell me there are people that aren't going to get in? There are people who, who aren't going to be a, a part of the kingdom? And we have all these discussions about who that might be or might not be. And for some people, they... They look at folks who they don't think deserve to be in the kingdom and they celebrate that. 
And they, they, we see it. We see people who carry picket signs and we hear people who preach these sermons about these people are going to hell and that's awesome. They're going to get God's judgment. What fascinates me about this passage in the verses after the ones we read, Jesus says to the people, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have yearned for you. I, I desire relationship with you. I desire to gather you to myself like a hen gathers chicks under her wing. And you keep rejecting me. And the response of Jesus to the people who don't want to walk through the door, the people who don't want to give up their stuff, the people who don't want to surrender is not delight because they're going to get what they deserve. It is lament and grief because they're going to get what they want. And his heart is broken. And I'm convinced that one of the one of the challenges, one of the tests for our passion about Christ is how do we respond to people who reject Christ? How do we respond to people who reject us as representatives of Christ? With delight at what they're going to get? Or grief and lament and sorrow and tears because of the choices they are making? It ought to break our hearts. Because our passion for Christ is going to shape us into the image of Christ. I think in a sense it boils down to this. If you want to be in the kingdom... You will be. And it seems too simple. And we can explain it and we can talk about it. But if the passion of our hearts, for whatever little or much we know, if the passion of our hearts is Christ, then we experience all that Christ has for us. Because the door isn't narrow to confine us and to to make life miserable. The door is narrow because it is the only way to life. So what's our passion? What's driving us? Deep inside, what do we want out of life? What do we think about Jesus? For many of us, we've been following Christ for a long time and it is simply stepping back and taking an honest look at our hearts to say what in me might have created less passion for Christ than it should. And for some of you, it Maybe no passion for Christ. But maybe today you sense a little spark. In this next moment of silent meditation, let's examine our hearts and say to God whatever we need to say.
Father, thank you for your gifts. We pray that you will forgive us if we have allowed your gifts to become more of a passion for us than you. Help us to see your great love for us. And give us grace and a desire to want you, your kingdom, all that you are. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. I once was lost in darkest night Yet thought I bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.